0: Chapter 1, and uh, if if you have no idea where Jonah is, that is okay. Uh, it is in the Old Testament. If you uh, kind of turn to the middle and kind of keep on turning to the right, it is between Obadiah and Micah, um, if that helps you. And if it is not cheating to go to the, uh, I guess, um, uh, the chapter index in the front and, and look for that and look at your page number. If it helps you, mine's on 774. That doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but there you go. Anyway, it's a very small book, so it might be hard to find. Uh, it's only 48 verses in the entire book, uh, but it's fun. I mean, Jonah is, I mean, every, uh, everybody tells their kids about Jonah. I mean, Jonah's a fantastic kid story. I mean, it's a guy who, um, who gets swallowed up by a whale. He starts a fire inside of the whale. The whale starts to sneeze, and him and Geppetto go out, and he becomes a real boy. Um, Wait, that's not it. Uh, anyway, uh, no, Jonah is a great story. And we often talk about Jonah because Jonah is the, he's the guy in the Bible that we can all relate to. He's just like us in so many different ways. Uh, and that's why we kind of titled this series. We're going to be looking at this over the next four weeks, uh, and we'll get that video right. Probably by the fourth week, maybe, or something like that. But uh, anyway, (laughs) um, we're going to run that several times. But we have the I Am Jonah series because we are just like him. Now, this book was written 700 years before Jesus, seven hundred years before Jesus, so we're we're talking about a pretty old book. Now, here's the deal: Who's Jonah? Jonah is a prophet of God of Yahweh, the God that we serve, and he is the, he is one of these guys that speaks for God. And he's actually a pretty popular dude. He's he's mentioned one other time in the book of Second Kings. It's a very small passage, but he's mentioned there. And here's what was happening: uh, He went and told he he felt called by God, given a message from God to go and talk to the king of Israel and say, yo, you need to fortify the northern border of your, of, of your nation, uh, because, let me get this right, um, because the Assyrians are going to come and attack us, and, and as soon as like so the Israel the Israelite king said, "Cool, I'll go do that." He so he doubles and triples his, his defenses on the northern side of the of the country, and sure enough, very quickly the Assyrians begin to uh, to come at them, and they were able to defend. And so Jonah was Jonah had a very rare occurrence in his uh, career as a prophet. He said something, and it quickly happened. Most of the prophets. That didn't happen. They would say something It would be years upon years and decades, most of their life, it would not even happen because the prophets would actually speak of things that would happen far beyond their death. And so, but Jonah stood up, spoke, the king uh, actually responded, and it quickly happened. So Jonah was a decently popular guy. He would have been known around town. He would have been known around the city for sure. And uh, And so there's this other character, Uh, Named, uh, actually, it's it's a bunch of people called the Ninevites. Now, here's the deal with the Ninevites. They are the greatest city in Assyria, which is that enemy of God and any enemy of God's people. Uh, They are the ones who uh, came to, uh, uh, wanted to kill the Israelites. And here's the deal with the, the Ninevites. Everybody hated them because they were awful. They were evil, painful. They were gross people. And and people were petrified of the Ninevites. Jonah would have known this his entire life. His family would have grown up with this. He would have grown up literally hating the Ninevites forever, for for as long as he could remember. Because here's why. This is what the Ninevites would do. They would, uh, they would actually invade cities and most of the time, get this, this is crazy, most of the times the city or town that they were about to go invade, the people of the town would just go ahead and commit suicide before they even got there. Because they knew that they were going to be conquered and they knew that if they were conquered, they would be tortured. And so they just went ahead and committed mass suicide before, before the Ninevites even got there. So they would show up in the town and everybody was already dead. Here's what they would do, and this is Kind of gross, but I'm gonna let it roll, right? I mean, they, would, uh, they would they would would capture, uh, rape and murder the women and children, uh, and then they would take the men. Uh, not murder them right away. They would actually peel their skin off, uh, and then uh, they would dig holes in the ground, uh, put the men into the ground up to their neck, and fill into the desert and fill the sand all around their body. Obviously, that's a little painful. And then they would uh, then they would. Um, <clears throat> Uh, put them in the hot, scorching sun, pull out their tongue, drive a stake into the ground through their tongue, and then they would just leave them there to die. That's the reason why people hated the Ninevites. They would be equal to how we would think about um, uh, the Nazis, Um, Al-Qaeda. You know, the Ninevites would be very similar to, like, Tehran today, Uh, you know, a a very nasty, evil city that you wouldn't want to go to Uh, certainly you wouldn't want, that's not a vacation place. And uh, most of us would think, man, those people are just evil. And they probably deserve it, okay? So they were pretty hated. So that's where we pick up in Jonah chapter 1. That's where we pick up. I'm going to try to fix this microphone because it's driving me crazy. Um, In Jonah chapter 1, it's going to be up on the screen, hopefully, uh, for you. uh, And we're going to read the entire chapter. So follow along with me if you could. It says this. Verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord get that from the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord but the Lord the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea to that to that ship uh, threatening to break it up And this says this in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on, on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Uh, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging." Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, I'm thankful for uh, your word. I'm grateful that it is absolute truth. Grateful that this really did happen, that this man really did exist. Um, and that we can learn a lot from him. And I, I know that this is going to be a tough sermon for a lot of people, including me. And I pray that, uh, that, I pray that your word would stay on the hearts of everyone. Uh, Jesus, you are uh, the name above all names. And even though this happened way before you were around, you are in the center of this story. And we're grateful that we can be um, interrupted in our lives by you. Father, help us to be obedient today. We love you. Amen. Alright, so here it is. The word of God comes to Jonah. That's the first verse in the whole thing. Look at verse 1. Now the word of God came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The word of God. In those days, here's what would happen. God would actually speak, speak orally or verbally, audibly to these people, to to Jonah. And God, he knew, he had heard the word of the Lord before. And before, when he obeyed, Something actually happened the way that it was supposed to happen. So Jonah knew that this was true. He knew that if he obeyed, what God would have would come to pass. Now Jonah hated those people. And what God was calling him to do was go to Nineveh, preach to the Ninevites, so that they would repent and be saved. That was the goal of of what God was saying to Jonah. Jonah hated those people. There is no way, and he knew that he was successful. There was no way that he was going to go do that. Because his hatred overflowed in his heart for those people, and he did not want God to save them. So here's the deal in this sermon. Here's what I want you to get. This is a sermon about obedience. And and there's, let me me say this, a little preface to what we're we're about to get into. Um, Some sermons, uh, like last week, if you were here last week, uh, there's a lot of sermons that come out of the Word of God that are a blessing, they are encouraging, they're very loving, they're very caring. I get to smile a lot, and I get to tell very fun stories, and you get to feel really cool, and, I mean, everybody gets to leave in, uh, in this kind of very joyful spirit. There's other sermons that are from the Word of God that are disciplinary sermons. Both are great. Both are really good. Both are positive. However, sometimes they're just a little bit harder on us. They kind of chisel away at who we are. This is one of those sermons. So let me just, let me just admit today that this is going to be a little tough. I'm really going to step on some toes today. And so I hope, I hope that you're ready for that. And here's, a, here's how I want you to approach this. Um, uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever worked out, right? Uh, so if you're like me, this is what I have to do. I actually have to build myself up to go and work out. Right? I have to prepare myself. It's not like I can just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to work out today. And I go, you know, sweat it out for an hour and I'm okay with it. I have to, like, I have to listen to music. I have to get all kind of pumped up so that I can go into this very hard, very disciplinary action. And this is, that's the way I want you to approach this today. Because most of us, when we hear that, we hear the word obedience. We hear the word discipline. We hear, we hear hard. This is going to be tough. Our immediate reaction is to flee from that and say you know that's that's not why I'm here that's not what I've uh, that that's not what i signed up for today and so uh, here's what I want you to do I want you to take I want to take this offensively like you if you were to go work out and say I'm gonna I'm gonna take this thing down that's how I want you to approach this this sermon okay so Jonah was running, here it is, was running from the presence of the Lord. Now, some of your uh, translations are going to just say he was running from the Lord. Um, but in, in the ESV that I'm reading right here says, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to get away from God completely. He wanted to move away from where God was on this planet, which, as you probably know, is a little bit tough. So here's, here's my main point. Here's what I want you to get. And this is what the whole sermon is about, right? Right? You cannot run from the presence of God. You cannot run from the presence of God, only the purpose of God. You cannot run from the presence of God. You can only run for the purpose in which God has called you to do. So write that down. You cannot run from the presence of God, only the purpose of God. I want you to see this. Here's my first point. God is everywhere and he is in control. God is everywhere, and he is in control. And I've got a couple of verses up here that I want you guys to see. The first one is, uh, if you go ahead and roll it through. Um, You with me? Um, uh, God is everywhere, and he is... (laughs) We're almost there. We're almost there. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24. We're almost there. There we are. One more. There we go. Okay, here we go. 23... 23 through 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth? This is God speaking through Jeremiah saying, I am literally everywhere. You cannot get away from me as the creator. Psalm 24, 1, the next one. It says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it under, upon the, the rivers. The next one, here it is, Colossians 1. And I want you, This is one of the, my favorite verses in all of scripture. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, it says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. So, and we looked at that a couple months ago in our awakening series, this this verse in Colossians. Basically what it's saying is God is everywhere. Everything is for him. Everything is from him and to, and and to him belong all things. He is literally the creator creator. We cannot get rid of God. I mean, it would be thinking that you could get rid of God would be the equivalent of thinking I'm going to escape being a human being. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop being human for a moment. It's impossible to do that. It's who you are. God is who he is and he is the creator over creation. He is the one who stands over everything because he's the creator. Now, uh, a couple uh, a couple of months ago, I was very proud of myself that I, create, I in my garage, I cleaned it all up. And, uh, I mean, I took pictures of this and, like, shared it on Twitter. I, and I was, I, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I decided to, like, get really creative in my, my garage, right? And I built myself a little workbench, right? And, and I'm a tall guy, so I built the workbench slightly taller than normal, right? I'm the creator of the workbench, and here's what, here's what happened two weeks ago. My dad, who's a way better carpenter than I am, uh, and uh, he's just a better worker altogether, he comes in and he, and he looks at it for two seconds and he says, a little tall, isn't it? And I, I looked at him and said, Dad, I created that. I'm the one who designed it. I'm the one who put it all together. You weren't even here. I made this. I stand over its creation. I know it intricately. I know how it was formed. And that's how God, that's how God thinks about us in the world. He stands over everything. There's not one part of the world that God does not speak into or know about. There's no secret place that God has no dwelling in. He understands all of it through all of eternity past and all of eternity future. God stands over everything as the creator of the creation. We cannot get rid of Him. We not, we cannot move away from Him. So here's Jonah. In the first couple of verses saying, I am going to flee from where? The presence of the Lord. Right? What's funny about this, here's, here's, here's a key in the rest of the Bible. When it says that you somebody is away from the presence of the Lord, the only place where that exists is hell. So Jonah, quite literally, wants to be going to hell. That's his purpose. He wants to escape God so badly that he wants to go away from God and away from his presence. But here's the promise. Here's the thing and my main point. We cannot escape God's presence. But we can escape his purpose for us. However, God is going to accomplish his purpose. He's going to make sure that it gets done. If God says, if the Creator says that something is going to happen... It's going to happen. He's going to to make sure that it's going to happen. Here's the question. We can't run away from the purpose of God. The question is, are we going to join him in making sure that the purpose is taken care of? Are we going to join him in what what he's doing? Are we going to be obedient? Here's the second thing. It's going to be up on your screen. Obedience is not easy. Obedience is not easy. I mean, Jonah had a choice here. And he basically said... No, I don't want to do that. God spoke to him directly in his word. God spoke to him directly. And we also have the word of God in which God speaks to us directly. And then there's moments in our life where we have a decision to make. Are we going to obey or are we going to say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Leave me alone. I'm going the opposite direction. Even when we know that what he has given to us is what we need to be doing. We actively say no. I hate that purpose. I hate those people. I don't want to be around. I don't want to give. There's lots of different things, and here's the reason for this. The reason for this is because inherently we are, uh, we are. Every one of us is built with something called a sin nature, meaning that every single one of us is born with an understanding that we are uh, depraved, meaning that we are almost uh, we are born sinful, born sinful. And we are born thinking that we are God. That's where we want to go. I mean, I have my, my little infant is actually in the service today. she's right back there. Right? My little infant, she's three weeks old. She is born with the sin nature. I, I mean, I know she's a cutie, and she is, right? But she has within her this idea that the world revolves around her. How do I know this? I wake up every three hours at night, right? the world revolves around her and what she wants we don't grow out of that we think we do but we never really grow out of that we can suppress that and say you know i'm a humble guy i'm not going to you know i'm not going to be a jerk but really all of us have this thing in us that is going to cause us to think that we are god and that the world does revolve around what we want our desires our accomplishments that that's what that's what really matters for this world and we can, we can do all sorts of different things that get us there, but what really matters are my goals and what I have. And when something like God comes alongside and says, I want something for you that is different than your desires, we have a choice. Are we going to take ourselves off the throne of our life and put God on the throne of our life and say, your purposes, your plans, um, what you have for me is more important than what I think I need. Every parent understands this. It's not very hard. Parents, you understand what is best for your children, especially when they're young. And as they grow, they begin to think that they know what is best for them, right? Right? But of course, you know what is best for them. And God, who amazingly is called Father, knows what is best for us. And it is best for us to obey him. Now, disobedience is going to come in two different forms. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. Disobedience is going to come in two different forms um, called uh, direct disobedience. And this is, what, uh, this is what Jonah did. Direct disobedience is what I just described. No I know that what you're saying to me is this, and I'm going to do that. I know that you're calling me to go there. I'm not going there. I'm going to where I want to go. Directly disobeying who God is. And this this comes out most often in the big three. Money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. What we want to do with our money is the most important. It's tax time. Who's done their taxes? Right? Yeah, you guys are awesome. Right? Uh, right. Uh, I mean, this is a time where every American decides, am I going to be truthful with what I owe the government? Am I going to be honest? Am I going to make the best decision? Am I going to pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and pay to God what is God's? Now, here's the second question. God has called me. You've heard me stand up on this stage time and time again and say, invest into the kingdom work here in Cane Bay. That is a call from God asking you to be invested. Asking for obedience. You have a choice to make, and there are wonderfully obedient people in this room that give generously. Now, I, I know I I love that. You know how I know that people are disobedient with their money? The number one grossing movie, like two weeks ago, was Ghostwriter Two. Right? I know that people are disobedient with their money. Right? Whoever thought of that movie? Um, right? I know. I mean, we have we have we make decisions with our money that is going to. Have significant, give us significant problems with our generosity. Now, okay, we have money, sex, and power. Sex. That's a tough one. I know the kids are in the room, so I'll be polite, right? Guys, are we going to be obedient with how we work on a computer? When we know that we need to protect our eyes from things that are not right, are we going to protect our marriages? Are we going to actually. Be obedient with our lives in this area. Power. How are you in the workplace? Are you a good leader? Are you a good follower? Are you a good employee? Are you the person who gives and serves? Or are you the person who lords over? Are you the person who uh, takes power and grabs it and, and, uh, and uses it to destroy people? How are you at directly obeying God? Now, the second one here is, and this one's a little easier, but it's just as disobedient. I'm going to call it drifting disobedience. You have direct disobedience. No, I'm not going to do that. Drifting disobedience is I'm good where I am. I'm cool. I'm making good decisions. And then one day I'm just, I'm, you know, hey, I'm just going to take a week off from being invested in uh, in my scripture. I'm going to take a week off. You know, I'm just going to, you know, my wife gets enough. I mean, I. Can 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 she just leave me alone for a little while? I'm gonna do what I want to do, just for you know, and then I'll get back to her. Uh, my kids get enough of me. I don't I don't need to give to them every day. I don't need to spend quality time with them every day, every moment. Do I? And we begin the drift. Everybody, anybody ever been to the beach and you kind of go out on the beach and you're just kind of chilling out in the water and everything's going fine. You might be talking to some friends. Everything's going good. And then you're you're out there for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, and then you look up and you realize. That you've probably you've you've drifted on down the beach. Anybody, has that ever happened to anybody besides me? Okay, I mean, like, I mean, you're you just drifting. You don't even realize that it's happening. Don't even know it's there. I mean, nobody drifts into uh, nobody drifts into divorce. Nobody drifts into um, foreclosure financially. Nobody drifts into an affair. Or I mean, no, I'm sorry. Nobody directly disobeys this is what I'm saying. everybody drifts into this kind of stuff it just happens subtly and soon it just becomes blatant uh, disobedience and for us as christians we drift into not telling anybody you look back at your year did i tell anybody about a personal relationship with jesus christian when was the last time you talked with anybody about what had, what god has done in your heart we just drift we drift away from what god what god has done and here's what, here's what happens. Here's how you know that you're becoming mature in your faith. When God calls you to do something and there's an immediate obedience. So there's the call and then there's the obedience, which is really close to each other. We'll call this lag time, right? <clears throat> now, if, if there's call, God calls you to do something and then the obedience comes days later, months later, years later, there's a real question as to how, how uh, mature in our faith we are. And the closer we come to... Making having, the, having God challenge us to making a decision, that's when we know that we're really mature in our faith, that there is immediate obedience to what God has for us. <clears throat> and disobedience isn't rocket science, right? I mean, if, if everybody was, uh, I guess, if, every, if obedience was easy for us, if obedience was easy, this would be a perfect world. But our natural inclination is to do what we want, not what God wants. And so what we do is we say, I want to do what I want to do, which is going to make me free to do what I want to do. I just want to be free. I don't want to worry about everybody else. I don't want to worry about me. I want to be free to make my own decisions. I want freedom. But here's what Jonah found. Here's what Jonah found. Jonah found that our disobedience, or his, his disobedience specifically, uh, makes us slaves. And that's the third thing I want you to know. Our disobedience makes us slaves. <clears throat> in verse 3, it says this, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. Okay, let's go down to Joppa. In verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they, hur- what, um, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down and was fast asleep. Now I'm no psychiatrist. But where was Jonah at emotionally here? I think Jonah was pretty depressed. Jonah wasn't free. Jonah was a slave to his conscience at this point. And he was imprisoned in a boat that was about to kill him. And Jonah was asleep. Have you ever talk to anybody with depression? What do they want to do all day long? They want to sleep. They don't want to live their life. I don't want joy, I don't want anything besides, I just want to lay down, I don't want to do anything. This is where Jonah was. The language, actually, to go down. To go down, again, was actually a hell reference. To go down. It's the language that they use. Jonah was at the worst possible place. The captain comes in and says, wake up, what are you doing? Don't you realize that you're about to die? I mean, Jonah was at a place where he was such a slave to his sin that he didn't even care if he died or not. He would rather die than be obedient to what God wants him to do. He literally was made a slave to his own sin. And uh, I want to tell you about a guy that I know. His actual name is Jonah, a friend of mine uh, from Augusta. And I met him at a uh, homeless shelter. And he, uh, it was weird because he kind of didn't belong. He just looked out of place. And I asked him about his story. And I said, where, where are you from? What are you doing? And uh, Jonah, it's literally his name, Uh. Jonah was a good guy. He was young. He was only 23 years old. Lived in a pretty affluent neighborhood in, uh, in Augusta. And um, Jonah one day got a hold of prescription pills from his parents. Uh, from how his mom had a surgery or something like that. And he got a hold of those and started popping them. Pretty, pretty intense narcotics. And uh, for a solid year of his life, he was hooked on prescription drugs. And he told me, he said this. He said, I thought that I was doing what I wanted to do. I thought that it was free, and these drugs made me free, but eventually I just became enslaved to these drugs. So much so, get this, this is what Jonah began doing. Jonah and his friends, who were also just as bad as he was, they started breaking into pharmacies and stealing the drugs because they couldn't pay for them anymore. He had run out of money. Literally taking a saw and ripping the, 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 the roof out Like taking a, I'm amazed by this, taking a a saw and ripping a hole in the roof, going through the roof, stealing the drugs and leaving. He did this numerous times. Finally, he was caught. And Jonah was sitting there and he was just like, I am completely enslaved to the drugs that I was on. I thought I was free. I thought I was going in the right direction. You see, sometimes, sometimes when we're running from God, we're going completely in the wrong direction. Where Jonah was, was about maybe three to four hundred miles away from where God was calling him to go. Three to four hundred miles of a land journey it would have taken him, uh, you know, maybe a month to get there at that time. Tarshish was twenty five hundred miles in the wrong direction. That's where, jo- that's where Jonah was going. It would have taken him over a year to get there to the point where biblical writers, they don't even know where Tarshish is on the map. It's so far away. That's where Jonah was going to go to the farthest place known to man. He was looking for an opportunity to be free from work for where God was to what God had for him. And what happened was he was a slave in the bottom of a boat that was about to go to the bottom of the ocean. But here's what Jonah did, and this is even worse. The fourth thing, <clears throat> our disobedience hurts other people. Our disobedience hurts other people. Here's where Jonah was. Verse 8, check this out. This is interesting. Verse 8 says this, Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what, uh, and what people are you? Let me stop right there. He was about to kill these guys on this boat. He knew that this storm was upon him because of him. These guys were trying to figure out how to save their lives. So they're just like, who did? Obviously, this is supernatural. These are sailors. They had never even seen this kind of storm before. They were freaking out. And so they were just like, obviously, we are under the condemnation of a supernatural power. Who screwed up? Who's the guy who messed up that's making this happen? And so they're looking for the guy, and they find Jonah, and they just—they don't know enough about him, so they question him. Man, this thing is just killing me. Um, there we go. They so they, they question him. Man, that's a lot better. Isn't it? And they wonder what's going on. And this, I, I find this answer very interesting. This is great. Verse nine. And he said to them, "I am a Hebrew." Get this. I fear the Lord. Really? Really. That's what I would say to Jonah. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I'm a Hebrew. One of the biggest problems in our world is is people who claim to be Christians and followers of God have no fruit in their life whatsoever. And show no obedience to what God would have for them. It's a significant problem in our culture, not just church culture, actual culture. That people who claim to be followers of God have no obedience to him, have no fruit in their life, have no, ha, ha, there's no presence of the spirit within them, but yet they claim to be a Christian. Jonah was running from the living God. The only thing he had going from was the fact that he was Hebrew. And he was about to hurt a lot of people. So if you think that your disobedience... This is where I'm going to step on some toes. If you think that your disobedience is just for you, think again. It's going to hurt other people. It's going to hurt a lot of other people. Parents, your consumerism, your inability to be generous to your children, your church... Generous to other people because you consume so much and your life revolves around your paycheck, it's hurting your family. Husband, your addiction to pornography is hurting your marriage. You think that nobody sees you, God sees you. He knows what you're doing, He sees what you're doing. You cannot flee from His presence, and you're hurting yourself, you're hurting your marriage, and you're hurting your kids. Ladies, your anxiety and worry for the world is causing your children great hurt. We have things now going on in teenagers' lives that you wouldn't believe. Suicide, drug use, cutting. Uh, I mean, and where does this come from? It comes from anxiety and worry and shame and guilt that is certainly exemplified in mom's and dads all over the world, but specifically moms. If you have girls, moms, rely on Jesus and not yourself and not this world. And what you're going if you do that, you're going to teach your child that everything revolves around her, and then eventually that's going to break down. Eventually that's going to hurt somebody. And your disobedience is going to hurt somebody. Students, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of you. What decisions are you making right now that you think are only about you, but are really going to hurt other people? They're going to hurt your parents. They're going to hurt your friends. What are those decisions? And here's Jonah's decision. Get this. I want you to get this really good. Here's Jonah's decision. Jonah was called to go and preach to a people that he knew that if he did, that they would get saved and God would redeem them. But if he didn't, they would stay condemned. They would stay on the path to hell, and that's where they would go. And he was okay with that. Jonah's disobedience was not only going to kill these sailors. Jonah's disobedience was going to condemn an entire city, an entire generation to eternity without God. That was Jonah's decision. So if you think that your decisions are a big deal, they're not. I mean, jo- Jonah had a big responsibility on his shoulders, and his disobedience was going to literally kill thousands upon thousands of people for all of eternity. Your disobedience is going to hurt other people, not just you. You cannot run from the presence of God. He is over all, and he has created everyone. And your disobedience is just like that. It is going to hurt everyone around you. Here's the good news. This is awesome. This is where the sermon gets a little bit more fun. God, here it is, God intervenes into our life. This story is about intervention. (laughs) You You ever been to an intervention, right? This story is about intervention. As soon as Jonah begins to run, he gets on the boat. And what happens? God sends a huge storm in his, in, in his wake. I mean, just he's, he's right on top of it. God isn't going to let him get very far. Right? As soon as, as soon as they begin to cast lots, what does God do? God in, intervenes into that. It's like they cast lots and it's Jonah. I wonder how that happened. God is supreme over that. He sees that. He's going to intervene into that. And here's the deal, at the end of the story, I love this, God intervenes with a giant fish. Now you might think that the fish is going to kill Jonah. You might think that the storm is going to kill Jonah, and all of this is for punishment for Jonah. But the storm, the fish, all of that is to save Jonah. God intervenes to save people. That's a beautiful picture. God intervenes to save people. I remember my friend Jonah, the guy from Augusta, the druggie. Um, I found him, like I said, in a um, homeless shelter. Jonah served, he got caught. Uh, he served a year in prison at 22 years old. I met him at 23. He had been six months inside of a rehabilitation homeless shelter for men at 23 years old. And he told me this. He said, getting caught was the best thing that ever happened to me. That was God's intervention into my life. Right as soon as I got out, I got saved in prison. I got sent to a Christian men's shelter. I'm off drugs. I'm learning an occupation. As soon as I get out of here, I'm going to go get a job and make something of my life. Because God intervened into my life. It wasn't how I wanted it to be. It wasn't the best. Being in jail for a year is not the best. Being in a huge storm is not the best, but sometimes God has to do things that are going to wake us up and get our attention. There are things in your life that you think are terrible and bad, and what it is is it's God trying to get your attention because you're being disobedient to what God has for you. And he's going to wake you up by something, and he said, "I am in control. You are in my presence, and you cannot leave it. Something is going to happen in your life, and you're going to think, "Why does God hate me? What God is doing is he's intervening in your life because He loves you. And he wants to save you. He wants to take you out of your disobedience and bring you into His purpose, which is great and grand. The best intervention in all of history was Jesus. Jesus intervened into history. Jesus, and they're, they're, what's great is we can compare Jesus and Jonah. Jesus was like Jonah in a couple ways. Jesus uh, was, a pro, was called a prophet of God. He was much more than that, but one of his roles was the prophet of God, to proclaim God. And he did that, just like Jonah. Um, he was tempted and tried, and he was given adversity, just like Jonah. He was, um, he was in a grave grave. For three days, just like Jonah, and spit out just like Jonah, obviously the resurrection isn't being spit out, but you know what I mean came out of that here 's why Jesus is not like Jonah he actually proclaimed the gospel of the good news and didn't run from it uh, he actually went Satan tempted it, tempted him, and he was obedient. He was always in the presence of the Father and never ran from that. That's amazing. He was always focused on what God would have for him. He was obedient and he never, ever, ever hurt anyone. He never hurt anyone. Unlike Jonah. I'm glad. Here it is. I am glad. That we serve a Savior and a God. We serve Jesus who never wants to hurt us. Who has known our trials. Has known our temptations. We don't, we don't serve a God that doesn't know us. We don't serve a God that never was in our place. We serve Jesus who was in our place. He was tempted in the same way we were men. He was tempted in the same way we were church. He was tempted. And he obeyed God. I'm glad that we have someone like that in our lives that we can serve. And here's the deal: Jesus was triumphant, and we can be triumphant with Him as He has intervened into our life. And here it is: here's the closing. I want, I want want you to write this down. Stop running. It's a race that you can't win. It's a race that you can't win. You cannot get away from the presence of God. You can run from the purpose of God all you want. Stop running. Christian, if you're saved in this room, like Jonah, Jonah didn't lose the fact that he was was saved and he was a Christian. He didn't lose that. God didn't take that away from him. He's not going to take that away from you. Stop running from God. Be obedient. Work on that lag time that I spoke about. God calls you, be obedient immediately. Stop running from God. And lastly, stop running if you've never, ever accepted Christ into your heart. Stop running. Stop running from Jesus. Here's the great part. It's not that you have to turn around. I'm sorry, it's not that you have to like... Do a bunch of stuff and and go chase after God. Here's the greatest part in the world. This whole story is about how God chased after Jonah. Repent, turn, and Jesus is right there. There's not a bunch of stuff that you have to do. You just need to stop running. Turn around and Jesus is right there and he has been the entire time, your whole entire life. All you have to say is, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to stop running. I'm ready for you to embrace me right where I am. So I want to give you that opportunity this morning. And here's what I want to do. I want to have a little bit of response time, okay? If you're a Christian in the room, I want you to take a little bit of time while, uh, and we're just, the band's going to come up and play. We're just going to have a little bit of soft music. And I want you to take one minute. And I just want you to ask, God, where am I being disobedient? Where have, maybe, where have I drifted away from where you are? Where have I drifted? Or where am I being directly disobedient to, to who you have for me or what you have for me? Then I'm gonna give you one minute too. If you are not a believer, and I know that there are several in this room. We love you. Jesus loves you, and he cares for you. He wants, he has a great purpose for your life. I want to talk to you about a relationship with him. I'll be available to talk with you. Just come and see me. I'll go stand right over there and bring someone with you. Take him by the hand and say, I want to go talk to Charlie. Uh, and I'll be standing right over there. If you just want to respond to Jesus, I hope that you do that now. So, um, or Joel, if you can just give us a couple minutes of just response time. Um, let me start us and Joel will close us, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for the one who um, right now knows their disobedience. They have heard you. <laughs> They heard you today, loud and clear. They know that that's them. They know that you're calling them. They know that that you're saying, come back. Stop running. Father, for my fellow believers who uh, at one point in their life said, yes, I want you, Jesus. But for whatever reason, there's something in their life, there's something in their heart that is tugging on them. They know they haven't been obedient. I pray that they take this opportunity now to seek you, stop running, turn around, repent, and move forward with you triumphantly. More than anything, Jesus, I pray that you'd bring salvation today to this room, to someone in this room who needs you, who is just like Jonah, running away from you and has been running their entire life. Father, I pray that you would give them the strength and the courage to come and talk to me. Allow them to grab a friend and come and talk to me. Give them the courage to pray and just the bravery to do that. In your name we pray. Amen.